Hi, and welcome back to the Voice of Healthcare for August 29th, 2017. Very thrilled to be joined once again by co-host Matt Sobolski. Matt, say hello. Hey, everybody. Good to be back. Uh, really looking forward to talking with our special guest today, who is Ilana Shalowitz. Ilana, say hello. Hello, everyone. Ilana, thank you for uh, sharing your time with us sharing your insight with us. Uh, you've got a very interesting background, and I'm looking forward to diving into that. Before we get into that, at the top of the show, I do want to say uh, the Alexa Conference uh, registration is going on right now, and listeners of this podcast in particular should take note because there is a healthcare panel that is part of the Alexa Conference where we're going to have some very interesting guests be part of that uh, panel. It's on Saturday afternoon, January 20th, as part of the Alexa conference. A lot of interesting companies will be part of that. If you're in the healthcare space and getting into voice technology or already into it, um, you should pay attention to that. And we'll be talking more about it as we move forward. Alana, thank you very much for being part of this with us today. And uh, I guess my first question for you right off the top is you do uh, voice user interface design for a company called Emmy. And, and uh, we're just acquired by a company called Walters Kluwer. Interesting. So what, do, what does your company and then perhaps the larger company that you just got acquired by, what do you do? Emmy was just acquired about a year ago by Walters Kluwer and we're part of the division of clinical effectiveness. Uh, clinical effectiveness focuses on how can we reduce medical error. That's a that's a huge burden to the medical system. I've heard it uh, quoted on the order of billions to trillions of dollars that it costs the medical system. Um, sometimes, if patients make a decision in in the clinic, or it can be on the patient side where uh, maybe they're not taking their medications. So. When Walters Kluwer and Emmy joined, Walters Kluwer brought the, the side that supports the physician. So their program is up to date. And what it does is it provides physicians with a way to quickly reference uh, what the latest literature says on how to treat a given problem so they can make better decisions in the office for helping their, their patient. So Emmy, what we do is there's there's just not enough bodies to support all the care that that's ideal for patients. Ideally, you would want somebody sitting right with you to talk you through um, everything, everything medical that comes up to make sure that you have the support to stay healthy. But there's just not, there aren't enough resources for that in hospitals. And so we really help extend the reach of the care team. Uh, we have two main products. We have multimedia programs, and we also have automated outbound phone calls, which is the product that I work on. But beyond the, the preventative screening side, we also help during care transitions. And those can be really rough times for the patients. They're just discharged. They might have been inundated with information. And they might not know left, left from right, much less pay attention to the complex information that they've gotten. And so what we do with the transition series is we'll call patients at uh, a pace that we set and will give them information that their care team will want. And we also communicate back to the care team about how they're doing. Their care team is receiving a daily report of exactly how they respond 
to to our calls and we'll mark for them if there's anything that they would like to follow up with. So instead of calling thousands of patients every single day, they can focus their resources on those patients that really need help. And how do you figure out which patients to prioritize or do you just simply call them all? What's your sort of uh, your process to decide, okay, we're going to, is it just you wait 60 days, you know, past when they were supposed to show up at an appointment to call them or there's other criteria? Um, Can you share with us some about that? Absolutely. So for our prevent solution, we work directly with clients. So I'll sit down with clients and, and ask them, what their needs are. I'll ask them what the patient experience is like coming, coming into this call. And they'll provide the list to us of the patients that we'd like to call. We can do some really interesting things if they give us more complex data. For example, for a medication adherence call that I, that I wrote, I was able to pull in from the data exactly the name of the medication that the patient was, was missing. So it wasn't just, hey, uh, have you been taking that medication? And I could actually name it for them. Um, and so they were able to think about that, that particular medication in that time. I want to ask you sort of a question about your own background. I'm fascinated in general in the voice technology space about all the different trajectories that people who are in the space have taken to get there. You've got people in all, with all sorts of liberal arts backgrounds, but you also have plenty of computer scientists and folks with a little bit harder skill set. Um, and I, I'm fascinated by that. And, and as I look at your background, I think that it's exactly that whole premise. Share with me, Dr. Spolsky, the audience, how you got into doing voice user interface work and what got you interested in doing that. So I've always been interested in people and the sort of systems that govern their lives. I studied both anthropology and psychology in college uh, to better understand how people interact with each other, but also about their, their internal world with that, with that psychology. And thinking about where I wanted to move forward, I really was, wanted to be in communication for behavior change. I loved design. I loved figuring out how people interacted things and the idea that humans have it in their control to, to shape this world around them. We could make things better for people. I had to learn what sort of vocabulary translated from marketing to design. I knew that I had the skills, the research skills, because that's heavily emphasized in especially anthropology and design values and ethnography, but there's still, there's still a vocabulary that you have to pick up. So for example, in marketing, customer-centric becomes user-centered or human-centered design. It's, a, it's the same concepts, but still to be considered an outsider in a new industry, you have to, you have to learn the insider terms. Finally, I got this contract in design research and I loved it. The trade-off researchers always think about is, okay, do you work client side? Meaning you have an in-house agency and then you may get to see the product through or do you work at more of a consulting agency where you just hand off off your research? And my experience working at this consultancy solidified for me that I really wanted to be involved in the product design. Yeah, so... um... I'm always fascinated by these 
I guess I would call them aha moments that people have in uh, informal um, circumstances. Sometimes it's them sitting in a lecture hall and uh, they're listening to someone speak and they have an aha moment or like you, they're having a casual conversation with somebody uh, and there's a synthesis, a connection that's made. Um, really curious, you know, what was that connection that you made and how does that motivate you now? There's yes. just, there's so much nuance involved in voice design. And right now designers are having to defend defend their place. What is the place of designer of a designer in voice design? Can't you just have anybody do the designs? I've thought about it because it's a valid question because a lot of what we see out there is is transactional transactional hey what's what's traffic like what's the weather like can you play music and for that those principles can be learned by a lot by a lot of people but the art really comes in when you start to think about conversations over time when you start to think about okay now i'm now i'm dealing with sensitive health information how do I best convey this to, to the listener? So for example, one of my clients, um, they were a payer, they're an insurance company, and they wanted to talk to their patient about, uh, they wanted to uh, send out a health risk assessment. And this health risk assessment says things like, do you live alone? Do you have trouble with your memory? Um, and I actually have a clip of that I can share with you in a moment. But the beauty and the challenge is figuring out how do I how do I possibly frame that conversation? They want to send it out to their new members, and it's just that's going to be a terrible, jarring experience, and nobody will want to answer. It'll feel intrusive, and so how can I, as the designer, smooth over that experience so it seems natural and uh, people want to participate? And it's it's really that, as I said, the the nuance and the beauty that, that brings it, it all to life for me. And, and also context is another big part of that. What, what are a few things that are standing out to you that is really having an influence or is really having a positive effect when it comes to using these voice-driven tools with um, your product? Maybe focus on the uh, post-discharge care management you know, focus of your work. Sure. So one of our most popular series is the heart failure series. So you've just been discharged from the hospital with heart failure. And we address the emotional sides of it as well as the very practical. You have to weigh yourself every single day. And so we call patients every single day for, for 40 days. And at the end, we ask if we can call the patient back to see how it went. And we've, we've just been calling a few patients and Actually, the wife of the patient had gone through the whole series and she said how appreciative she was that, that we did call every day to remind her to get her husband's weight and how we really talked her through the whole process of, of that care transition. Another thing is our, our new series, it's Diabetes Smart Support. And this one takes into account all sorts of variables for a much more tailored experience for the patient. So we know that if the patient is new to diabetes or if they've been managing it for a while and we'll speak to them differently uh, based on their experience. Um, and we also know that 
patients are going to be patients are going to have trouble during certain times of the year. Um, it's what people in anthropology would call feast holidays, things like Thanksgiving, or there's a lot of candy around Halloween or Valentine's Day. And so our system pulls from the date to address those those topics, knowing that it's going to be a difficult time. And that sort of personal attention is is in, invaluable and also couldn't be replicated under using um, normal staffing by the care team. With the staffing on the care team, mm-hmm. um, you are experiencing with collab, you know, healthcare collaborators that there's a shortage for uh, patients in need? Sometimes there's a shortage, but sometimes they're not able to reach the, the ideal support. So if you think of the uh, quick example of uh, returning to maybe a diabetes eye exam, um, it would just take so many staff hours to call thousands and thousands and thousands of patients. And instead, they can send out an, an Emmy call and have them transfer, transfer right into schedule. And that staff is then freed up to do um, more skilled tests. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that completely. I mean, one of the things that I'm coming across quite a bit um, is this conception that um, patients are only in your hands for a very short period of time amongst the years that they're alive and well or, or not well um, during the year. So, you know, these hours that you can't touch them, having a resource that or a medium um, that can modify how they typically take care of themselves is really important for outcomes um, in recovery. Now, one of the things that I have also come across is there's sometimes a asymmetrical intent. Um, you know, even if we keep them out of the hospital and that's good, or if we keep them out of an inpatient stay or coming back for an outpatient stay and taking care of themselves at home, that's fantastic. You know, there is a loss of revenue that the hospital has to deal with. Have you come across any sort of, you know, asymmetrical business um, intention when it comes to how effective your product's been from the voice side of taking care of patients? I'm really glad that you that you brought that up. So I haven't seen that there's that there's an asymmetry. Everything that I've written over the years has been a benefit to the patient. But what you will see is that clients will pursue different products based on their reimbursement models. So if there's still fee-for-service, then they might focus more on, on the preventative side of things because we can collect all those people or, well, they give us the, the data file, but reach out to all these people that are overdue and uh, help motivate them to come in. Um, but that's also, it's also important for our clients who are beholden to quality measures because we can do things like call them about the flu and collect data on who's gotten the flu vaccine already so that they can, they can report it for their, um, for their documentation. Yeah, that's an excellent example. Um, what other tools within ME uh, from the voice perspective are you proud of or are you excited about? Or perhaps maybe there's some voice interaction tools that you think might need some work and that the technology isn't really there um, in a supportive manner quite yet? So we still define all of the grammars. We don't use natural language 
processing or understanding. It's both a good thing and a bad thing. And the good side of it is that we're very strong on design and we have been able to come up with really creative, solid solutions for our clients. Um, and that example that I used about context by referencing, by referencing the date, that's a strong design decision that I don't think that other people have, have had to think about. And I, I haven't seen anybody address that well before. Um, something else innovative that we've done is we've come up with a tutorial um, walking patients through stress relief techniques that they can use, use on their own. Um, I haven't seen much of that either. And so because we have these boundaries, we've actually been able to innovate on the design side. Um, that makes for a really wonderful patient experience. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting comment you've made, the cost of being wrong. Um, I imagine, though, that with your interface, um, that there are some things that cannot be captured. Um, so when you look at a focusing of your portal or your medium that you're working on with the patient, um, are there any feedback um, commentary you're getting from clients that they say, hey, I wish we could also pick this up or I wish this would integrate into our EMR in such a way that would be apparent to me now? Um, are there uh, issues uh, with providers having to look at your portal versus seeing everything in one space, or do you guys integrate with EMRs? Yeah, so I don't know exactly how the integration works. I do know that we're integrated with our clients to varying degrees. And I do know from the design side, we set up the reporting structure. And we do think about things like, okay, does this go on one page or two pages? And... Uh, how do we display this information so that the, so the provider doesn't have to dig through to get the information? Um, and for the diabetes series, we have uh, we collect um, we collect blood sugar at any time of the day through texting, and that goes into the report. And we purposely put it all aggregated in one area so that the provider can quickly glance over it to see how the patient's been doing over time without scrolling, scrolling, scrolling to see this day, that day, this day. A lot of you were saying uh, earlier that you were commenting on uh, the fact that you had thought about, you know, do we really need to invest in a lot of thought and a lot of um, uh, psychology philosophy in, in uh, maximizing voice design. And, uh, and it, it's just interesting. I mean, of course the answer is yes. Uh, but it's just interesting to me to think about how if you take literally everything, uh, you know, the earliest buildings, you know, people said, Oh, you don't need to, someone just lives in there. Who cares? You don't need to do anything. And, of course, that was rejected and we got, you know, modern architecture, you know, and, or thinking about something like uh, a mobile phone. You know, people saying, no, it, you don't need to design that. You will just make calls. Who cares? Uh, and of course, you know, someone made a lot of money uh, named Steve Jobs uh, saying that that wasn't true uh, and that there needed to be more design brought to it. And uh, voice is going through that same thing of uh, and this is the theme that comes up uh, from time to time. Um, 
on Voice First FM podcast is that uh, there's all this questioning that goes on. Um, do we really need to care a lot about this or is it just okay to put something together and we'll still be, you know, fine? Uh, and uh, the answer is that like everything else in human history, we don't have any idea. Uh, we're only beginning to find out the difference between intelligent voice user interface design and the absence of any design. And, um, and we know there's a difference. Uh, we just, we haven't, uh, we're just beginning to understand what it is. So I, I, I heard that in what you were saying earlier, and I just wanted to come back to it because it's, uh, it, that fascinates me and it's, it's a theme of our podcast. Yeah. And I, I, to piggyback on you there, Brad, I think that it's really important that we recognize that in, in the past, you know, we, a lot of times manufacture trends, you know, economically, we can reduce funding, for example, for streetcars, uh, and then, you know, open up uh, funding for building roads so that gas automobiles become the norm. Uh, we're starting to make that same shift towards battery technology and gasless vehicles, um, which is another shift in economic focus, which you could argue largely is, is somewhat manufactured. That being the case, the ease at which people can utilize interfaces with their voice, I think, is what's captured a lot of venture capital attention and also design attention, similar to what Elena is talking about today. Um, and, uh, you know, without a doubt, because of the moment momentum and um, the evolution of these tools, uh, it's not going anywhere. And it's probably just going to become even more embedded in our day to day, not only in healthcare, but I think just about everything. So I've seen a lot of people focusing on speakers and in-home assistants and uh, a lot of companies saying, let's get our speaker out. Uh, but seeing what happened in marketing where everybody said, oh, let's have a TV ad, let's have a newspaper ad. Um, eventually, it became all integrated and, and all one. And I think that the industry isn't there yet. And so that's what I'm looking out for is how can we use voice for what voice is good at and how can we be uh, platform agnostic? So it doesn't need to be a speaker. It doesn't need to be a refrigerator, but we have an enormous amount of data on the user and then it becomes sort of like uh, a buddy that you can take around with you because it has all this data on you and you can, you can take it to the hospital. What if you had just a small USB drive with your assistant on it and you, you were able to take it to the hospital and see all the information that your doctor wanted you to see and they can, it can update you on communicate with your doctor also on any of your vital signs and, and things like that. And so that, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a lot of people being very excited about it, um, but they're focused very much now on certain certain devices and they haven't gotten to how all those devices connect for for the one lived experience that each person goes about during their day uh so you've got an exercise for us right so i mentioned earlier that part of what i see the power of voice in the future is um can it walk you through can it help you get through the day and not just return information to you and so I pulled our, one of our stress relief exercises, and I thought it might be nice for the listeners to end on that. Absolutely. And I could use that myself. I know Dr. Sobolski could use it. Well, all of us could use it. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Sign, sign me up, please. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>
Uh, this comes at the end of every call of our diabetes series, and the patients have a choice to do this exercise or another one. It's completely optional. And we set it up by saying that uh, it's called diaphragmatic breathing. I'm not sure if we use that term, but diaphragmatic breathing is known to lower your blood pressure. And this is just uh, a snippet from that. So feel free to follow along as I play it. This may be the first time you're trying something like this out. Even if it seems strange at first, try and be patient with yourself and give it a chance to be relaxing. Okay, let's start by getting comfortable. Turn down any music and try to find a quiet spot to sit or lie down. You may want to use headphones or put me on speakerphone for this exercise. All right, if you're ready, say start. If you need a second to get set up, press the star key. Great. Stars. Start by taking a little sigh to relax your shoulders and your back. Now close your eyes and breathe in and out normally, whatever's comfortable for you. As you continue to breathe normally, try breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. Continuing to breathe normally, in through your nose, out through your mouth. Put one hand on your stomach, right over your belly button. Notice your hand move up and down with your breath. Let's practice. Breathe in through your nose. Fill your stomach up with air. Breathe oh, in. I'm already asleep. This is great. In through your nose. Fill your belly up with air. Breathe out through your mouth. This is an example of circular breathing. It sometimes helps to say shh. <laughs> air out so the air comes out your mouth. Breathe in through your nose, filling your belly up with air. Breathe out shh. Breathe in through your nose, filling your belly with air. Breathe out. One more time. Breathe in through your nose. Filling your belly with air. Breathe out. Just like that. No, I love that. I mean, do patients, how many, do you know how many patients finish that when they start it? So this product is just being released. Uh, so I, I don't have that data quite yet, um, but I'm, I'm optimistic. There's a lot that went into that, uh, including I tested it with, with people and I saw what sort of pacing on average people liked, uh, what sort of breath lengths they were taking, um, and also did a lot of research into how exactly to frame that so that it felt accessible to the widest um, range of patients. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I think that's a great example of uh, you know technology and, and exactly what you know we've been talking about using voice design and and just simply, as Matt likes to say, nudging people just ever so slightly in the right direction. How would I play that through my phone, the web? It's a part of a, a series of phone calls. So the patient will will get a call and it'll say, "Hi, I'm calling on behalf of your doctor um, for Alana Shalowitz. Is this Alana Shalowitz?" Um, I'd say yes. And then it would ask me some, some check-in questions. So for example, have you had a chance to schedule your follow-up 
and then say, I would say yes or no. And last time we talked, you didn't have a, didn't have a ride. Do you have a ride now? So it has all these checkup questions that go back to the doctor and then it'll go through educational tips, maybe how to conduct a foot check. And then it'll finish the call after, after a talk to you about all these maybe stressful things that finishes each call with uh with a stress reducing technique very cool yeah. thank you for sharing that awesome. with us and uh thank you for sharing your time uh with us today alana and and just your expertise uh you're 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 fascinating uh what you're doing is fascinating and we appreciate you uh being part of of this with us it's been great thank you for having me Ilana, for someone who has been listening to this podcast and wants to reach out to you from a business standpoint, uh, you know, to engage in me uh, or just to talk with you further, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn or they can just send me an email. You spell my name with an I. So it's I-L-A-N-A. And my Gmail just has a dot. And then Shalowitz, S-H-A-L-O-W-I-T-Z at gmail.com. I'd love to hear listeners' thoughts and start discussions. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And uh, Dr. Sobolski, thank you as well. Always a pleasure, Bradley. For August 29th, 2017, The Voice of Healthcare, thank you for listening. And until next time. 